Hello and welcome to the Second Tier Podcast. I'm Ryan Dilks and I'm joined by the Dean Smith to my Daniel Farker. It's Justin Peach. Good day to you, Ryan. Justin, how's it going? How was your Christmas? It was uh, it was lovely. I think quite a few of us in the family have been a bit, a little bit poorly. We've had this virus that's been going around, but other than that, it's been good. I've ate a lot of food, which has been great. I had some had the best mashed potato I've ever had on Christmas Day, and that is quite the statement. Um, but it right, was absolutely you're opening super. up one hell of a debate here, Justin. Mashed potato on a Christmas dinner. Yes. Um, that sounds a bit dangerous if you ask me um, Whoa, well, why 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 this is surely it's normal no are you having it as opposed to roast potatoes no roast potatoes are on there as well there's a lot of carbs there then it's a christmas dinner i usually associate <laughs> roast potatoes as the only carb and is stuffing a carb? Stuffing is a carb, isn't it? Yeah. I don't know uh, what stuffing No, I don't know what stuffing is either. <laughs> <laughs> I usually associate those two as the only carbs that are allowed on a Christmas dinner and the rest is various different food groups. Are you trying to slim down? Are you no carbs before mobs, Ryan? What's going on? I know we're, we're going away uh, in a few months' time. But... I'd like to put on my plate, you know, your cheesy leeks, your cauliflower cheesy cheese. Leeks. Oh, cheesy leagues. My God. The ones oh I had on God. Christmas Day were fantastic, Justin. They were unbelievable. Uh, of course, turkey as well. Um, and veg, of course. Well, I, I think mashed potatoes are worthy uh, inclusion on a Christmas dinner, surely. It's just it's just something else. We have it. I, I have everything else other than meat, obviously. Um, but mashed potatoes, surely, are worthy inclusion. It's a, it's a nice... To have, I think, on a Christmas dinner. What did you have instead of turkey? Um, So we we make a beetroot wellington, which isn't beetroot. It's like beetroot, spices, carrot um, in a pastry. It's really nice. It is absolutely top dollar. would be turning in his grave at the thought of that. Um, This is very random, but did you know there's a Netflix programme, which is just an hour-long video of a fireplace? Yes, um, my other half watches it. I say watches it, she has it on in the background and while she's working. It got put on on Christmas Day and I was just amazed that this is a thing. But it is very satisfying to watch. But the greatest present of all this Christmas has to be the Boxing Day action here in the Championship. Welcome to the number one Championship-specific podcast, the second tier. Thank you for joining us wherever you are. We've had some great action on Boxing Day and on the 27th of December. And it's left us with a Championship table looking very interesting in places. Just three points separating 5th and 16th. Nearly half the Championship separated by just three points (laughs) truly mad how compact the middle section of the championship is right now so we're going to go through all the games from boxing day and the 27th of december in the championship talk about some of the news from the past few days of course what's going on at norwich city and then we'll finish off with diddy or dignity right at the end so gene smith has been sacked as norwich manager it's after they lost 2-1 away at luton thanks to a last minute goal from corley woodrow three wins from 13 games underperforming players a non-existent relationship with the supporters it had to happen didn't it it probably had to happen before the world cup break to be honest with you um let's be honest i think the the board have shot themselves in the foot a little bit by sticking with him i think he's a he's a nice guy he's a good coach as well but i've I've said i've said it before sometimes um sometimes managers and, and teams just don't really match up and i think in hindsight, for, for Dean Smith, he probably should have had a little bit of a break after that Aston Villa job. So I think it was just a week, um, a week, t- a week's time in between him taking the uh, Norwich job to him leaving um, Aston Villa. So it really wasn't a long turnover at all. And I think he would have benefited from that. And I think Norwich would have benefited from taking time themselves to find the right manager for their club. Because I don't think they did that. Um, Daniel Farker was, uh, you know, he's, he's, in my opinion, from an outside outside his point of view I think he's a club legend I think to go into a new manager a week after that um, without really going through a proper process that you'd associate with well-run clubs like Norwich I think has has led to this moment where the team don't really match um, Dean Smith's philosophy and it became a very unhappy marriage Um, so I think the club needs just a little bit of reset just to go again Um, but considering they are where are they in the table they are fifth are they still fifth yeah, they're still fifth and not really performed particularly well this season. 
I think that shows that they've got good players. They just need a manager to come in and just get it going. Well, I've seen plenty of non-Norwich fans say it's a ridiculous decision. No, it's the fifth in the table. These people completely don't understand the situation at the club. It was always a strange appointment in the first place, wasn't it? Norwich had spent the last three or four seasons bringing in players from abroad and had Daniel Farker looking over that. To then go for Dean Smith after him is very much a gear change, isn't it? Daniel Farker played lovely, attractive football and I don't really know what Dean Smith plays. So I think fans were never convinced by him. Managers build a relationship with supporters by going on good runs, didn't they? And with Smith, they were losing every week in the Premier League, got relegated, and it was always going to be difficult getting the fans back on side as soon as things weren't going well in the Championship. And that's exactly what's happened. I think he's a good manager at Championship level, but I don't think he's much more than that. If you want to get promoted to the Premier League, you've got to be more than that. And this squad is 100% good enough to go up automatically, but it's been apparent for quite some time now that this wasn't going to happen under Dean Smith. It should have happened during the World Cup, really, because then the new manager would have had time to work with the players. So that's a few weeks which have now been wasted and whichever new manager has got to come in has got to hit the ground running straight away. So, Justin, the question is, who did they go for next? I'd be interested to know whether you think they'll go down the route of someone from abroad or someone who's a more recognisable face. What I'm basically asking is, will they be appointing... Daniel Farker or Dean Smith next? <laughs> I, I don't think they should go back to uh, to a Daniel Farker. Um, I think they I think there are good coaches in in England um, that can uh, come in and, and and get the get the team playing in a way that this team needs to be playing. If that makes sense, you know, possession based football, high pressing, it's fast, it's attacking. Um, the first name that would obviously come to mind would be Russell Martin. Um, his Swansea team have underperformed this season, but that's not down to his philosophy. That's down to underperformance of, of key players, I think. Um, they should be much higher in the league if you look at the amount of chances they create per game, for example. Um, Stephen Schumacher is another name that I would, I would throw in the hat just because his, his philosophy probably clo more closely resembles what Norwich want to do or what Norwich have wanted to do in the past. Um, and that would be a really exciting move um, considering the players that they've got at Norwich and how uh, Steven Schum Schumacher wants to play. Um, so there, there are two names there that I would, I would throw in the hat, but I wouldn't be surprised if they go down a safer route and appoint, I don't know, a David Wagner, for example, who's someone who's got contacts abroad. Um, it would just be a very Stuart Webber thing to do, I think, to, to maybe overthink this appointment. That's what he seemed to do with Dean Smith, I think. Well, I'm not convinced Norwich will get this appointment right because Stuart no. Webber is... Quite highly rated as the club's sporting director, but I think his judgment is becoming increasingly more questionable. The player recruitment is one thing, but is worth remembering he appointed Dean Smith. And if you cast your mind back to when that happened, the reason Smith got the job is because the other candidate pulled out. That other candidate was Frank Lampard. And I think that would have gone down just as terribly. So, about that. yeah, so... Some clubs, when you've got a managerial vacancy, I have faith that they'll get the appointment right. With Norwich, I'm not sure they will. Who should they get? I agree with you. Russell Martin's the obvious shout for me. Plays beautiful football that the fans will love, but more importantly, is a bit of a Norwich legend, which will mean he gets more patience from supporters than someone mm. like Dean Smith, who never managed to make any sort of relationship. Maybe Mark Robbins. He's an ex-Norwich player yeah. as well. And... Continues to do a brilliant job at Coventry. So either of them would work for me. Martin's the obvious shout. Unfortunately, I can see them going for someone like Steve Bruce, though. Um, <laughs> which, sure yeah, it, it, those two would not be no. the best appointments, would they? I mean, Steve Bruce seems to get linked with Norwich quite a lot, considering his connections with the club himself from his playing days. But that would not be a smart move for me. So go for someone who's got a more attractive style of play is what I'd be saying to Stuart Webber, but he seems a bit you know, hard-nosed when it comes to quite this kind of thing. Uh, let's quickly talk about the game at Kenilworth Road. As I say, losing 2-1 thanks to a last-minute winner from Corley Wardrow. Despite being down to 10 men for the last few minutes, I thought Luton deserved three points. Yeah, absolutely. They were fantastic. I think it was a really good game overall, end-to-end, -end, both sides creating chances, both sides took their goals incredibly well. It was a really good way to... Um, to finish off Boxing Day essentially, um, but yeah, I think Norwich were uh, sorry Luton were, were fully deserving of their win. 
um, they they seem to have that more, that more it seemed to be more aggressive throughout the game and I think that sort of lent to him um, and that you know enabled him to carry on going throughout the 90 minutes and, and maintain that that pressure um, especially with 10 men I think they're they're probably one of the only teams because of their energy because of the tenacity because of their ability to get back into a shape they're probably one of the only teams that can go down to 10 men and make it feel uh, you know, make it still feel like you're playing against 11 um, they're, they're, they're that sort of high energy uh, and in your face all the time they were fully deserving of their winner and Collie Woodrow took his goal brilliantly didn't realise it was his first goal for, for almost a year as well which is surprising considering his ability to, to, to score for Barnsley but you forget his injury record so it was good for him to, to get back on the score sheet he took his goal brilliantly as well yeah really good looting performance there and one that I think that would um, that should spark more life into the Rob Edwards tenure I think and Rob Edwards' first win as Luton boss of course so he'll be very happy to get off the mark and despite it only being their second win in eight they're still very much in reach of the top six on Sunday night Burnley eased to a 3 no win I've said Sunday night it's not Sunday night is it I'm losing track of what day it is today is Wednesday on Tuesday night Burnley eased to a 3 no win at home to Birmingham Vincent Company's boys simply irresistible here. They created chance after chance against the Birmingham team who have one of the best offensive records in the league, lest we forget, and kept them completely silent at the other end. And even that brilliant midfield of Chong, Bielik and Medry were left helpless against them. You know, Justin, I was just sat there watching this game and thinking, we're watching a Premier League team here, aren't we? Quite simply, we are. I think they, they're a team that didn't get out of first gear, aren't they? Didn't concede a, exceeded one shot Sorry, in 70 minutes. Um, they just controlled the game from start to finish. I think getting that early goal made it not easy for them, but certainly um, it changes Birmingham City's game plan and, and puts the onus on them to, to come out and attack Burnley, which considering their ability to pass the ball and knock it around, it's just going to play into the hands even more. And because they're so good at it, because they're so efficient, uh, at keeping the ball and, as I say, moving into those into those areas that um, that they can exploit and getting getting the wide plays in behind the wing backs, it was just I wouldn't say an easy game because it's probably a little bit disrespectful for Birmingham City, but it was a very straightforward one for Burnley. And as I say, they didn't get out of first gear. Quality was on show, um, and one it was just a very simple uh, p- p- performance. There's not really any way anywhere any other way of summing summing it up for Burnley. Yeah, they just use so much class, yeah. don't they? Every player has so much quality on the ball, knows their job, and they pass it around with a slickness and a purpose that is an absolute joy to watch. And even if you take one cog out of this burning machine, they can just bring on someone like Nathan Teller, who walks into every other championship side pretty much, and it's just showing off, really. I have to apologise to listeners who aren't Burnley fans, because they must find it pretty boring <laughs> with us giving them a huge love in each episode, but I seriously struggled to find any faults with them before the big issue was going ahead and then dropping points or drawing too many games. But that's been ironed out of them now, hasn't it? And they're seemingly getting better and better. They're like a robot, which analyses its opponent's fight patterns so it gets better the longer the fight goes on. And it's eight wins from nine now. They could make a mockery of the championship in the second half of the season, couldn't they? I think it's about time we revisit the Burnley going up basket, Justin. I think you had six eggs in there Mm. out of a dozen. I think that's right. How many eggs are you willing to put in now? I'd be a bit annoyed if you weren't considering putting in just about every single one at this point. I'll, I'll go up to 10 just because it's, it's early, you know, we can, we can get to January and there's a, there's a mass fire sale, for example. You know, absolute chaos at Turf. Well, I doubt that will happen very much. Is that going to happen, though? Justin? No, it's, Come it's, on it's not. But you know, you've got to consider these variables on the in the back of your mind. I'm a I'm a pessimist, aren't I? So I'll go with ten, just because they they just easily swatted away Birmingham City, who were a very very efficient team, very good team, very disciplined team. Just easily swatted them away, like they were just cannon fodder. Um, and that's why I think, yeah, Burnley. Burnley went on the way to a promotion winning season, potentially by March, April. Yeah, that basket looking very heavy now with 10 whole eggs being in there. But I think I'd be very surprised at this point if you were to crack every single one of those eggs because Burnley going up is, it's become even more so Mm. over the past few 
game weeks, hasn't it? That yeah. this is looking very likely at this point. Is worth saying Anna Sorori scored the fastest goal so far of this championship season, doing it after 48 seconds. So a fantastic start for them. John Eustace said after the game, we've got to respect who we're playing against. They're the best team in the league with the best squad. A fair assessment. Only a fool would have predicted Birmingham <laughs> to get anything from this game in a second-tier preview show. Well, as I say, but Birmingham City have got previous of just upsetting the teams that um, are in good runs or are heavy favourites for promotion-winning seasons. I think that's the logic, and it was fair logic. Um, but as I say, I think the game plan for Birmingham just completely went out of the window after the first 40 seconds because Burnley got the got the goal very, very early. I think if, it, if it's a game that's nil-nil after 15 minutes, suits Birmingham City, it's a cliche, but it does... Um, because they've got uh, they've got the ability to harm teams on the break, or or you know the likes of Chong who can put in really good deliveries from set pieces. Um, but I think this is the first game that I'm I'm coming away from a Birmingham City perspective and going, I was actually a little bit disappointed just because they just lost control. They lost the ability to uh, regain um, momentum after that sort of first forty seconds, and after that, literally after Burnley scored, it, that was it for me. There was no other winner. There was no other outcome in this game. Burnley were going to go on to win it. Um, so I just think it's a little bit perspective, perhaps from from a new perspective um, point of view, um, but also a learning a learning um, curve for for Birmingham City and uh, and Eustace as well. Watford nil, Millwall two. Watford were down to ten men for more than half the game after Hassan Kamara was sent off. We will give Millwall some credit shortly, but Watford were absolutely shocking here. It was a really bad performance, um, and I don't think it's down to Billich or coaching. I think it's down to personnel. I just don't think they've got players that are good enough to be able to play any sort of system really effectively. I think this the system that Billich wants to play needs Imran Lauza and Ishao Pedro because they're chance creators, they are risk takers, they, they have the ability to open teams up very, very easily, um, and they're match winners as well. They don't have that. Their average possession has gone down without the likes of Lauza or Chowdhury in the team. Um, he's got, you know, British has got to play a counter-attacking style, which isn't his preferred methodology, um, nor is it a seemingly um, a style of play that suits his Watford players. I don't know what style of play suits his Watford players. Effectively, it seems they can only do things five out of ten on each occasion. And it showed in this game, Millwall didn't have to do much to get this win. I think that's quite shocking, to be honest with you. And it's disappointing because I think Keenan Davis is the only one that can come out of this game with any credit. The team was really, really poor. Yeah, the red card didn't help, but they could have been three or four nil down before that if it wasn't for Dan Backman in the Watford goal. Millwall really should have won this by more because it was one of the worst performances I've seen from a championship side this season from Watford, especially when you consider the standard of play there. You've got Ishmael Asai, who's been linked with some big clubs for years now, and he was anonymous here. Leandro Bakuda, my God, he was appalling. In fact, I could have gone through a few players and said the same thing about ben, about them, but this was a very bad game, and it highlighted the amount of work that needs to be done in January. It's not a case of getting a plaster or two on this team. You need major surgery. It needs a lot of work, doesn't it? I'd sell Saar... He's not played well enough this mm. season and perhaps is thinking about his future elsewhere. Probably get rid of two or three others as well. But they need about seven or eight new players. Injuries haven't helped with the likes of Lauser, Pedro, who was apparently on crutches after this game, which will be a big worry for Watford. But there's a lot of players there who just simply aren't good enough or don't care enough. <laughs> I still think Watford are the side who could realistically put some pressure on the top two. However... That's only happening if they go big in the January window and even then it's looking increasingly likely that they're too far off the pace because of the gap now between them and the teams that are up there. But a massive three points for Gary Rowett's boys. I think they were massively helped by how poor Watford were, but they still had the job to do and really could have won this by more. That's what I mean. It was a really simple game for Millwall and it's it's hard to give credit to a team who didn't have to do much for their win, but I think that in doing that you to sort of do them a disservice. I just, they just didn't have to do much. Um, if you look at that first goal, for example, the defending from Watford was absolutely horrendous. Um, it was a really, really simple goal for, for, for Vlogshammer and obviously he gets his first goal of the season. But the only real danger they, they faced throughout the game was Keenan Davis. Um, and other problem, maybe other than the first 20, 25 minutes, they had a good handle on him. Uh, and after that, they managed it really, really well. Um, it was just a really good Gary Rowett away performance. And I've said that many times this season, 2-0, 
um, clean sheet um, and you know you get your first win after the World Cup break it, it's a good chance to just regain a bit of momentum that was lost because of that international break yeah Andreas Vogel Sammer the goal slammer. Uh, his first goal, as you say, I think that nickname would be a lot better if he actually scored more than one goal from it all so far, <laughs> but still, nice nickname. Uh, Zion Fleming on the score sheet again, five goals in four games for him. Now just a phenomenal player who's getting better and better and Millwall sit in the playoffs with this victory. Now the biggest championship attendance in five and a half years saw Sunderland beat Blackburn 2-1 thanks to a 91st minute winner from Ellis Sims. Nearly 44,000 at this game and the limbs when that goal went in right at the the end were great good finish actually from Sims as well mm. it looks like he's just toe bunged it but incredible composure at that stage of the game John Dahl Thomason thought his side deserved a point not sure I agree with that Justin <laughs> for me Sunderland were much the better side I didn't really see much from Blackburn that convinced me that they could get anything from that game I think they were obviously fortunate with the opener um, but Sunderland utilised the same formula that teams that have had a fair bit of success against Blackburn have used it's a high press pin them back um, and get balls into the box and I think what Blackburn do well is they, they do deal with those balls into the box relatively um, efficiently and I think just because you're going into that 90th minute at 1-1 doesn't necessarily mean you deserve a draw Blackburn didn't really offer much um, Sunderland were much the better side dominated possession dominated um uh, areas uh, of, of the pitch um, if anything you can argue that Sudden deserve more criticism for not picking up the win or picking up more goals earlier on in the game um, that's not the case they got the three points and Blackburn didn't really offer much maybe a good away performance but I think Thomason got his substitutes wrong there was just a lot wrong with the performance um, and I don't think Blackburn deserves anything to be blunt well, it was a really good all-round performance from Sunderland and the only blotch on that game was the very unfortunate own goal, which I'm still trying to work out in my head about what's <laughs> actually happened there. But Dan Bellard was excellent at the back on his return from injury. Roster Amadiallo, brilliant going forwards. Luke 9 such a shit house. It's great. I'm becoming more and more of an admirer of his work in the dark arts. Look, the, the race for the playoffs is very tight right now when there's just three points separating... 5th and 16th that race will thin out as time goes on and there are some teams there who I give little to no chance of finishing mm -hmm. in there there are some teams who I think should be expecting to finish in there and there are some teams who have got a great chance of nicking a place and I think Sunderland are well in that bracket along with the likes of your Coventry's your Millwall's etc that attack with Stuart and Diallo is up there as one of the best in the division. Two players who are banging form right now. Add in the return of Dan Ballard at the back. Dan Neal, Corey Evans have been solid in midfield. And it would just be foolish to roll them out of a top six finish at this point. As long as they hold on to players in January, they've got a great chance. It's what could happen in January that does worry me, though. I think if they can get into January and add a striker, because I, I, I almost want them to go back to a three at the back. They need... Uh, well, they need bodies back in, in central defence. Obviously, Danny Bart um, picked up an injury last week against Hull. Um, I, I want them to go back to a three at the back and play and play Stewart and Sims up front with Clark at the wing back and Gooch at the wing back. I mean, some of the fans can feel free to disagree with me, but it felt like they were peaking very early on in the season um, with that formula. And if they can get that formula and add a bit of depth in, in yeah, a centre half um, and up front as well, I think they can. They can at least get to March, April and ask the question of can we make the playoffs? Um, I think that's the, the key thing there. I don't th I don't have any expectation of them doing it um, but if they can get to March, April and still be within a shout I think that's a really good season. But as I say I think a Stewart and Ellis Sims um, front two will be quite frightening one to be honest with you. I'm really sort of angling for that to, 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 to return from Tony Mowbray. This was the first time this season Blackburn have dropped points after scoring first in a game, which is a truly remarkable stat. But three losses in four now. And I think the wheels are coming off this Blackburn promotion <laughs> push. As we predicted, Justin, the performances have been great all season, as we've said constantly. And when that keeps happening, the results will start to average out over the course of a 46-game season. Lo and behold... The prophecy starting to become true. Nine goals conceded in four games. Before that, they'd only let in 19 goals in 20 games. And in those four games, they've had 21 shots and faced 60. Which mm. is a, not a great ratio, is it? Look, 
as much as we've had stick from some Blackburn fans about our belief that the wheels will come off, we've also had other supporters say to us that we're right. They haven't been playing well. And there's some serious question marks over John Dole Thomason's game management. The woeful amount of chances they create per game, his team selection, plenty of other bits as well. There are at least 10 teams for me who are better than this Blackburn side. And many of them now rapidly catching up with them. They're going to seriously slide down the table in the new year and... They could be in free fall as opposed to steadily dropping down, I think, Justin. It is a it is a major worry. Um, and I think the inability to manage games, you can almost excuse the fact that they don't create too many chances and um, concede a lot, but they still get results. You can excuse that because, um, you know, f- football's not necessarily won with a calculator, if that makes sense. Um, but the fact that their game management is so poor, the fact that they can't overturn um, opposition leads, the fact that they... Um, have been uh, been unable to um, react to a high press, for example. Uh, I think it shows a lot of limitations for John Dahl Thomason. And we've had Blackburn fans tell us that oh, he's managed a Champions League team. That's absolutely fair, but he's not showing flexibility that you need to show in the Championship. And quite ironically, it's one thing that Tony Mowbray was very good at. He was very pragmatic, and sometimes it can be frustrating. But sometimes you need to play it slightly longer to get it to a wing back in in, in space. You don't always have to pass it out from the back. Um, you can still play nice possession-based football um, and be uh, sensible, essentially. And there are a couple of things we can say that about. But the fact that they concede so many chances and are a possession-based team shows that they don't have any control in games at all. And it also highlights that there are a lot of holes in the, in the game at the moment under Thompson and they need players, they need more time and results aren't going to pick up until Thomason starts to be a little bit more sensible, I think, is the easiest way of describing it. Let's take a quick break, Justin. After that, we'll talk about Sheffield United winning against Coventry and, well, this must be a mistake, Huddersfield winning? We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Second Tier Podcast. It's four wins on the bounce now for Sheffield United after beating Coventry 3-1. John Egan was sent off late in the game, meaning the Blades were down to 10 men for the last 15 or so minutes, but by and large, quite comfortable, really. I thought the scoreline flattered Sheffield United, to be honest with you. I, I, don't th- I think they deserved the win, but I think Coventry were well in the game up until that third goal went in. Um, I, I do think that... Justin, Justin, Justin. They managed only one shot in target in the first 72 minutes. And that That's was not necessarily about... Yeah, it's not necessarily about shots on target. They got into some really good areas. Um, and Sheffield United weren't exactly fluid in the final third themselves either. You must have been watching a different game to me. I'm just saying, I, I thought uh, I thought Sheffield United deserved the win, but I don't think the scoreline um, was necessarily reflective of, of, of how the game went. Um, as I say, I think Coventry played well, but I think Sheffield United have played much better this season. But they, were, they don't care. They got the three points. I think the first goal, for example, showed exactly why they're... As, a, as good as they are going forwards, you know, quick turnover, fast break, good decision making in the final third. Um, I think Paul Hacking bottom sides, or his Sheffield United side, they make football really, really simple. And I think that's why they're such a joy to watch. Um, they're aggressive, they press, um, but they, they're they very good at making good decisions in that final third, which Indai did um, with the McAtee, with the McAtee goal. But as I say, I, I thought the scoreline did flatter Sheffield United a little bit. I completely disagree on that front. Ilman Indai was class. I just love watching him play. He's such a thrilling footballer, isn't he? Oli Norwood's put on a masterclass in being a deep-lying playmaker. He was excellent and good to see Max Lowe make his return from injury after missing the last three months too. Four wins on the bounce now. While their joint top scorer, Oli McBurney, hasn't been able to start a game because of injury. It really is an embarrassment of riches at Bramall Lane, isn't it? And we're now in a situation where Blackburn, Watford and Norwich all lost over Boxing Day and the 27th of December. And what we were talking about before, with there not really being an automatic promotion race this season, that's looking even more likely now, isn't it? Norwich are fifth, actually closer to the bottom three in terms of points than they are <laughs> to the top two at this point, which is just remarkable, Justin. Hmm. Yeah, it's, it's quite striking, isn't it? And I think, I mean, we said last week, didn't we, that we thought the automatic promotion race was, was over pretty much. And we've had some Sheffield United fans comment that the only way that that might not be the case is Sheffield United have a very good habit of ballsing it up themselves and that's absolutely fair I think 
to be in control at this stage of the season is quite a bit of a, you know, he's quite a worry because if you do balls up, it hurt a lot. Um, but I think the only thing that's going to stop Sheffield United from getting automatic promotion is themselves, is, is injuries, is player availability. They're the aspects that are going to hold Sheffield United back, not necessarily their inability to pick up results because they've shown that even if they don't play particularly well, they can still pick up results. They're a good, hard-working, honest, organised team. And that sounds hacking bottom, but as I say, the only thing that's going to hold them back is, is potentially injuries. But it's quite staggering that they've been able to, to pull away the way they have, given the amount of injuries that they've had. Them and Burnley. Incredible that we're yeah. saying this before the turn of the year, that it looks like the top two is pretty much sorted. But <laughs> it would not only take an amazing run of form from someone outside the top two, but as you say, one of Burnley or Sheffield United almost capitulating. But think about it this way, right? We've played 24 games, which means the maximum number of points you can pick up so far is 72. Quick maths. That means Burnley have only dropped 22 points all season, which is pretty frightening. And there's an 11-point gap between them and Blackburn in third already. I'm not sure if these two teams are two of the best we've ever seen at this level or whether the rest of the championship is just miles off it compared to the usual standard. Possibly a bit of both, I suppose. But yeah, the top two looks... I struggle to see anything else at this point, really. It's just a title race now between those two, isn't it? I was a bit disappointed with commentary here, Justin. You're free to disagree with me. Richie Ocres left very isolated up front. It meant they didn't offer much of a threat until the final 15 minutes of the game, by which point it was just about over. Having said that, Sheffield United are a very good side and it's obviously proving to be quite difficult taking points off them right now. The big concern for Coventry was Callum O'Hare being stretched off after just seven minutes. Now... At the time of recording, we don't know the extent of that injury, but Mark Robbins admitted he was fearing the worst, and that will be a huge blow for them, won't it? There was a Christmas miracle at Deepdale. Huddersfield scored not just once from open play, but twice as they beat Preston 2-1. It's the biggest Christmas miracle since John McLean took down Hans Gruber at Nakatomi Plaza. <laughs> um, I, was, I was scrolling Twitter um obviously when the goals were, were going in and it was just absolutely staggering just to see the surprise and um, jubilation from Huddersfield fans. It really was a, a Christmas miracle and it was almost like, I don't know, the, the, the birth of a messiah himself, wasn't it? It was absolutely ridiculous the amount of um, the positivity coming out of Huddersfield Town supporters. Um, but I think that just goes to show that they do have the ability to spark into into action when they when they can get going. I think if you look at the the introduction of um, Brahima Diara, it changed the game from a Huddersfield perspective because he's got the ability to take the ball on the turn um, and get at players in it, and he caused press, pressing a lot of problems. Um, and as I say, his introduction sparked them into life. And it, you know, Jack Rodoni showed the ability that we thought he could bring into the team with that you know step over and cross into the box for the for the winner. It was just a complete an utter shock to see that this ability being on display for Huddersfield because we haven't seen it yet at all this season. Yeah, I'm far from convinced about this being the start of Huddersfield's great revival, but good to see them showing a bit of fight. The main thing I'm interested in with each Huddersfield game is hearing what Mark Fotheringham has to say. I'm sure he's a nice bloke, but I've said it before and I'll say it again. Some of the things he comes out with is just bollocks. He, he yeah. was saying before the Preston game that he's brought an impetus to the club and they've won four from 14 games. And apparently, according to Mr. Fothering, Slavin Bilic was saying to him after the Watford game, no wonder everyone in Germany is talking about you. Why would everyone in Germany be talking about a guy who's managing the club bottom of the championship and has done very little to turn it around? These are the ramblings of a man who is completely deluded. And if I was a Huddersfield fan in the situation they're in, I would want my manager to be frank and to the point about how things are. Not a load of stuff which everyone can see is just nonsense. But from our perspective, keep it up, Mark, because it's great content each episode. Uh, just three wins from 13 games now at Deep Dell for Preston. And that is a pretty shocking statistic, really, isn't it? It's quite concerning, really. As I say, their home form is dreadful. Um, it's not helped by dreadful defending. Um, I think you've got to ask, where's that performance from the Blackburn game gone? Uh, I thought I was seeing a team that could that had the potential to, to um, be in contention for the playoffs, but the last few games, that hunger, the drive, the bite, just hasn't been there. It's, it's been really weird. Um, if you look at that Huddersfield winner, for example, it's generally some of the worst defending I've seen this season. Um, Rudoni being a, 
uh, allowed to cross the ball. Woodman just kneeling on the floor. The ball coming in, he just knelt on the floor. I don't, I don't really know what he was doing with that. I've got some question marks over Freddie Woodman this season. Um, and then an experienced defender in Greg Cunningham, allowing a not very prolific wing back in 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 Kessley Hayden to uh, to essentially bundle the ball in. It was just really disappointing defending. And I know Ryan is a very honest manager, and he's been very honest in his um, assessment of the performance. Um, but this team based on the last couple of games, got no chance of reaching the top six, got no chance of maybe even reaching the top 10. Um, if that's the aspiration, it's just a really disappointing, lacklustre, crap performance. Yeah, despite their rather lofty position in the table, I've not really rated their chances of getting in the playoffs too highly. And this was a perfect summary of why that's the case. They're quite an unpredictable team, aren't they? You yeah. never know which Preston team is going to turn up. And teams who finish in the playoffs aren't like that. Aren't like that. If you can't find some form of sustained consistency you're not getting in the top six and I can't see that happening with Preston the main thing for me is the squad simply isn't good enough to get in the top six it's miles off your Middlesbrough's and West Brom's and I'd say it's still quite a way off your clubs like Millwall and Sunderland for example mm. Ryan Lowe has even said he's still waiting to find out what the club wants to achieve this season which I think is his way of basically saying if you want to get in the playoffs we need to sign players in January now if the players were suited to how he wants to play, maybe they could get away with the squad not being as good as others. But it's not suited to how Ryan Lowe wants to play. And that's why I've got sympathy for him. I think he's a good, promising young manager, but he's having to work with what he's got. And it's not anything spectacular, unfortunately. Mm. A Tuba Akpom hat-trick gave Middlesbrough a 4-1 win at home to Wigan. Can you recall a player who's ever benefited from a new manager than Tuba Akpom has under Michael Carrick? Eight goals in eight games now. Prior to that, he scored 12 goals in 105 games in English league football. I can't recall anything like it, Justin. It's it's quite staggering, really, isn't it? Maybe Neil Warnock and Adol Tarapt is, is one that springs to mind. Um, but I think even so, this this upturn in form. I mean, Tarrant was always a good player, but at least you had question marks over Akpom because his goal record wasn't that great. Whereas Tarrant, you knew he had that ability. But yeah, it's it's quite staggering, really. I think the the, the key things here is yeah, I think Carrick's just given him belief. Um, Akpom's always been a player who's been on the fringes, but he's been given a run in the team and he's he's been he's been given a role in the team that allows him to play. Uh, to his to his strengths really you know it's picking up the ball running at defenders um almost having a license to to find space and he did that really well you look at ryan giles who is probably one of the best wing backs or best crossers in fact in the division of just being able to find players in good areas and if you've got players getting into those areas they're going to score goals and that's essentially what's happening um yeah i think he's just simplified his game um he simplified his game he's not overcomplicated it and akpom is is thriving from it it is a remarkable turnaround in form for for yeah, the former Hull Hull and Arsenal forward yeah and he was very 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 uninspiring <laughs> every time I saw him in England mm. especially when he was at Hull for example I think he got something like three goals mm-hmm. all season despite playing the vast majority of their games and he had a spell at Forest as well didn't he I never really saw anything from him that said this guy is going to be a good championship player, let alone one who's got eight goals in eight Mm. games now, which has just come absolutely out of nowhere. So an emphatic win for Middlesbrough to bounce back here after losing to Burnley before Christmas. So Akpom will, of course, get the headlines. But so many players stood out. Hayden Hackney in particular was someone I thought was really good. But the one person I wanted to highlight was someone you just mentioned, Justin, Ryan Giles, who has been sensational in recent weeks. In fairness to him, he was probably their best player when Wilder mm-hmm. was in charge, although that was quite a low bar because Middlesbrough were playing so poorly. But Carrick's arrival has seen him become a really influential player. I saw one Borough fan say he's been their best loan player since Patrick Bamford, which is a hell of a lot of praise in itself, isn't yeah. it? But for a player to be as influential as him from left-back is really hard to do. He got two assists against Wigan and only Elias Chairs are higher expected assists per game than him in the whole of the championship this season. His creativity is phenomenal. He's got, I'm going to dip into my bag of cliches right here, a wand of a left foot, uh, but he's great at dribbling with the ball as well. He loves running at opposition defenders and still only 22, need to remind you, Justin. Feels like he's quite a bit older than that, but 
still mm. got a lot of growing room, hasn't he? But he's going to continue to be so important for Middlesbrough this season. And I'm really looking forward to seeing what he can do as Michael Carrick's tenure as Middlesbrough manager goes on. Curlo Torre still looking for his first win as Wigan boss. Another game where they weren't actually too bad. It has been a difficult run, hasn't it, in fairness? Mm. But they could do with converting some of these not-too-bad performances in, into points. Otherwise, they're not going to get very far, are they? It's now six wins in seven for West Brom after they beat Bristol City 2-0. Very comfortable win for the Baggies, who are looking like a class act right now, aren't they? Uh, well, yeah. Pretty much. Um, I think if you've got someone like Tom Rodgick to come on off the bench, his ability to regain control in a game that may be getting away from you is just absolutely staggering. His passing range is fantastic. Um, but yeah, they're a team that are they're just well-oiled. Uh, again, if you're <laughs> dipping into that bag of cliches, they're well-oiled. Um, they, they, they know their roles. Each player knows their roles now. Um, and, and they utilise their moments in games, which is not something they were doing under Steve Bruce at all. And I think that's down to finer details that Carlos Colburn's brought in. Um, I think there was rumours of scepticism from certain players about his um, about his methods being similar to Valor and Ishmael's. Um, but the players have been, um, well, they've taken to it brilliantly uh, and they've been full of praise for Colburn. And I don't think you can praise him any more than we possibly have done. It's, it's the fact that they've been able to turn the form around not doing too much, just simplifying things and getting them organised and disciplined, um, I think is quite staggering. And then I think if you look at someone like Tom Rodgers and Matt Phillips, for example, the ability or the change in their, their fortunes has been absolutely staggering. Um, Brandon Thomas-Asante as well, he's, I mean, his finish was absolutely brilliant. Didn't know he had that in the locker, but these players are just getting their chances, they're getting their opportunities, they're showing it, and they're well on the way to potentially finishing the top six, which is just absolutely remarkable. Yeah, you called them a well-oiled machine. Carlos Corbran kind of is the oil, isn't he? Because mm. they were looking very rusty under Steve Roos <laughs> and oily Carlos Corbran's come in and made everything start working again. But Bristol City created so little in this game. West Brom maybe could have scored more as mm. well. And we've said that quite a few times with West Brom in this winning run, haven't they? And it's another performance, which is quite a complete performance I think a lot of that was down to the fantastic work of Okayo Kuzlu in the middle yeah. of the park for West Brom he he won't be the headline grabber he's not that kind of player but he is an excellent footballer his reading of the game tackles interceptions just the ball winning 101 the boxes you need to tick he was just outstanding in every department since he's missed just one game since Carlos Corbran has come in otherwise he's played just about every minute and has been pivotal to this turnaround in form. And I will be honest, I was quite surprised that West Brom managed to get him in in the first mm. place because it was really good for them in the Premier League. But it seems like too much of a step down for him to come to the Championship, which is why he had a season away before eventually coming to the Hawthorns. But he has been excellent recently. A real unsung hero, but a very, very important one who I think deserves the spotlight to be shone on him after this yeah. particular bit of form. One win in eight now for Bristol City. Nigel Pearson's resorted to blaming the fans. Maybe it might be a good thing for us to play away from home. He said it was a game where we really needed the fans to get behind us. Are these the ramblings of a man who's in a bit of a desperate situation, Justin? I think so. I mean, Dean Smith worked out well for him, didn't it? Um, it's it's at no point, unless you're getting booed for no reason at all, at no point should you turn on the fans. You need the fans behind you. So why, for an experienced, for an experienced manager to come out and say that, it's just a bit of a surprise. And I'm, I'm pro Pearson. I think he's managed the club well in a transition, but I've said it before, I've said it time and time again, it's getting a bit boring now. The club's at a point where he needs to make a decision as to where it wants to go from here. Do they want to become a team who are firefighting all the time under Pearson from now on? Or do they want to progress? Do they want to become a, a solid, stable championship club with the view of becoming a playoff chaser? That's the potential I think they've got. You've only got to look at his starting 11 for this game, for example. Andy Weiman was shafted out on the right-hand side. Andy King still at centre-back, despite having Rob Atkinson. I know you might not trust his players and things aren't as simple as that from an outside perspective, but come on. You had someone who scored 20 goals last season, not in an area where he can get in the box and score goals. It's just not good enough. Um, from an experienced manager as well, and as I say, if you're starting to blame fans, that's it. Your time's very short. It's running out. 
grasping at straws, aren't you, when mm. you start doing that? Goals from Andy Cowell and Tom Ince gave Reading a 2-1 win over Swansea. And I can't help but go down the same old narrative with this game, that Swansea have shot themselves in the foot again by just not being able to hit a bloody barn door. I think their inability to... Um, oh, it's not, not inability, but their ability to hand teams head starts as well is is quite frightening. They've won the uh, won the joint most amount of points from from losing positions this season, um, which goes to show that their game management, maybe experience as well, is lacking in that team. And, um, and I think that, that that shows. But I think Reading, the fact that they've got ability, they've got players in their squad to be able to um, be clinically in certain moments, I think works works to their favour. But yeah, Swansea did just give teams head starts and they shoot themselves in their foot and sometimes it works out, sometimes it doesn't. And the longer they keep doing that, the longer they're going to be a team that are just going to be a bit, you know, a bit like Preston. They're just in and around mid-table. Um, they've got to start taking the onus to teams early on, um, implement their implement their control um, in, in games and take, take it to op- opposition. I think that once they start doing that, um, they will start to get results or, or start to take these themselves rather than give them away. Yeah, no win in eight for Swansea, but they've managed more than 2.3 in expected goals in each of their last three games since the <laughs> World Cup break. And it's very easy to look at Joel Pirro's lack of goals because it's not just him. The number of big chances they're missing is a real team effort in that respect. And it's costing them, isn't it? As we talk, as we talk about how tight the middle of the championship table is, Swansea are only three points off the top six. If they turned a couple of those draws into wins, then they'd be right up there, mm-hmm. wouldn't they? They are a quality side. It's just those fine margins that are really letting them down. But back to the game, I felt a bit sorry for Joe Lumley for the Swansea goal. He makes an unbelievable save from a Joel Pirro header, which he tips onto the post, but unfortunately falls to the feet of Liam Cullen and makes the save essentially worthless. Uh, Tomins was excellent, though. Andy Carroll, a nuisance all night for Swansea. A good win for Reading, who I think did play well, but it might have been a different result if Swansea could aim despite being down to 10 men for nearly half the game Blackpool got a point away at Hull they drew 1-0 great goal by Sonny Carey in this one a real power driver from (laughs) the edge of the box but the interesting thing about this one is Blackpool boss Michael Appleton didn't applaud the fans for the second game running afterwards he said I'm damned if I do I'm damned if I don't aren't I I go to them after the Wigan game and they boo and it sours the taste a little bit I'm told after 34 minutes against Cardiff last week that I'm getting sacked in the morning and then I'm getting told I don't know what I'm doing after 60 minutes when I make substitutions I can't recall too many relationships between manager and fans being so bad I don't think even Dean Smith at Norwich was this bad was he yeah it's a strange situation I do feel for Apperton. I just think he's been, he's been incredibly unlucky um, with the hand he's been dealt. Obviously, Josh Bowler leaving in Jan- uh, January uh, in the summer, um, not being able to replace him, over-reliance on loan players and injuries to defensive options has left options threadbare. He has been unfortunate and I don't think that's helped his situation. Um, and I probably do think he's managing the situation as well as he can. Um but yeah, it's it's just it's, it's it's bizarre, isn't it? And I think the longer it goes on, the longer it's it's going to um, become a potential problem. But I think the team again, I think the team needs to just get behind. Sorry, the fans need to get behind the team. And I think once they start doing that, that might start to lift the mood a little bit because there's this expectation that Michael Apton might get sacked or will get sacked um, for as long as the fans are. Um, frustrated towards him I don't think that's the case I think they've the hierarchy of Blackpool have shown that they will stick by stick by Appleton despite poor results um, they might see it as a long term project and that might be the case but I think the thing in the short term is maybe lay off Appleton and get behind the team I, I don't know I might, I might be out of line saying that but that's my point of view uh, there's a lot of bad blood there, in there, from his free, previous yeah. spell at Blackpool, and he was always going to be up against it in that sense, and that's where it was quite a strange decision to bring him back. So I can't remember off the top of my head too many situations where a manager's had a bad spell as a manager of a club and then come back. So uh, yeah, a bit interesting in that regard, I suppose. Uh, a lot of draws for Liam Rosina at Hull so far. Played six, drawn four. The fine margins make me think they'll be fine. Certainly teams I'm more worried about anyway, Justin. Mm. Cardiff nil, QPR nil. One shot on target in total in this game. Not one for the neutral. It's got to be said there are boos directed towards the Cardiff board and the management after the game. Supporters aren't happy at all about the direction their club is going in. No win in five now and they sit 20th. Two points above the bottom three. And Stoke came from behind twice to draw 2-2 away at Rotherham. Stoke... 
Really should have got the three points. Jacob Brown missed a couple of really good chances. Tyrese Campbell looked sharp though. Got his second goal in three games. Just one win in ten now for mm. Rotherham. And now it's time for this. Yes, it's time for the news. And Norwich manager Dean Smith has been sacked. Steve Weaver and Alan Russell will take caretaker charge of the team. Sporting director Stuart Webber says this was a tough decision, but one that we felt was necessary to give ourselves the best possible chance of achieving our objective of promotion to the Premier League this season. Last time I checked, Scott Parker was the favourite mm. with the bookies <laughs> to get the job. Uh, Coventry have been given a suspended points deduction. It's after three home games were postponed at the beginning of the season because of the state of the pitch. It means they'll get deducted five points this season or next season if... They breach ground maintenance regulations again. Coventry have also been ordered to pay compensation to the three clubs they were meant to play and to the AFL for the costs of the investigation. I think this is a bit harsh, Justin. It wasn't Coventry's fault for the shoddy pitch, was it? It was the useless former owners of the CBS arena. Well, it just puts their potential um, potential objectives in the hands of uh, Mike Ashley, potentially. You know, If he doesn't want to pay certain fees, that could impact... The quality of the pitch again, um, although that's bad management really, if, if that is the case. But uh, it does give um, Mike Ashley a bit of a strong hand in terms of any sort of bargaining power over commentary potentially, which is you know, that, that's just obviously just speculating. But yeah, it's, it is a bit harsh, but at the same time, I'm, I'm sure if there wasn't any outcome of this, a lot of teams and my, uh, boards will be up in arms about it. I like to think Mike Ashley isn't even enough to purposely make the pitch rubbish so that more games are postponed but who knows we've seen crazier things happen well the issue with the pitch meant Coventry replaced under a transfer embargo because it led to cash flow problems that embargo is now being lifted because Coventry have now paid HMRC so that's handy just before the transfer window West Brom chief exec Ron Gourlay has told fans that a near £5 million loan from the club to their chairman will be repaid in time for the January transfer window the loan helped one of Guatran Lai's companies during the Covid pandemic it was originally going to be repaid in September with interest but that hasn't happened yet the club's also investigating another loan from 2014 <laughs> contract news Naki Wells has signed a new two-year deal at Bristol City his contract was set to expire in the summer and has scored eight goals this season always amazing how much better someone can play when his contract is set to expire isn't it Ben mm. Manga has been appointed as Watford's new technical director he was at Eintracht Frankfurt when he was chief scout and then director of football they made some brilliant signings in that time including Sebastian Aller, Philip Kostic Luka Jovic Helena Costa has also joined the club as head of scouting uh, an important couple of appointments because Watford's transfer window could decide whether they get promoted this season. So hopefully they've got some targets in mind. And finally, former Huddersfield defender Michael Heffler has left the club as an ambassador to become a coach at West Brom. A move that has really annoyed Huddersfield fans because many of whom must be sat there wondering what is going on with their football club behind the scenes. Let's do some polls, Justin. This is the part of the show where we give the listeners three questions on Twitter because we want to get their thoughts on everything to do with the championship. So the first question we asked was this. Dean Smith sacking at Norwich. Fair or harsh? Fair. Very fair. Very, very fair indeed. 73% of people said fair. 27% said harsh. Is the automatic promotion race over already? Yes or no? Yes. You sound very interested here, Justin. 67% of people said yes, 33% said no. Some very optimistic people out there still mm -hmm. thinking this is our life. Fans. I, I, I just cannot see anything other, unfortunately, at this point. And finally, Yorkshire puddings on a Christmas dinner, yes or no? Yes. Yes. Come on. Yeah, I'm a yes man, but I didn't realise it's quite a controversial subject amongst what? some people. I didn't have them this year because I ate Christmas dinner around another household where I usually do um, and we didn't have Christmas we didn't have Yorkshire puddings on this particular Christmas dinner um, mm. but you know each to their own it's not a big miss for me I think they're a bit overrated really I think I always leave the Yorkshires till last um, so do I so do I well there you go I, I don't think they're a big miss and they're, they're clearly a favourite of yours if you leave them till last they are the they are the, the sweeper they're the bread that you need to absorb the gravy and and really really finish off that uh, that heavy meal you just eaten mm. I, I, 
if, if they got eradicated from the face of the earth i don't think i'd miss them too much to be completely honest but nonetheless 78 78 percent of people said yes to yorkshire puddings on a christmas dinner 22 percent said no now it's time for this Daddy? yes sir you mind telling me why the hell you never mentioned this before? Yes, it's time for Diddy or Didn't See. This is the part of the show where we have 10 players with various connections to the championship and a club. All we've got to do is guess whether they played for that club or not. He's got to have made a senior appearance for them. We take any turns to guess them and we keep scores as the season goes on. This week, it's my turn to guess and Justin's to provide the players. With the scores, 76-72 to Justin Peach for the season. Justin, can I have the first player, please? I was going to say, you're going to cry this week if it doesn't go your way. If you put Lewin Nightanger in there again, then yes. <laughs> Lewin Nightanger and a check in, check in. The first one is not Lewin Nightanger, it's Grant Holt and Aston Villa. God, that has really thrown me. No, no, I cannot, I cannot picture when that would have happened unless he came through their academy, which he might have, but I'm going to say no. Ten appearances on loan in 2014. <laughs> Really? Premier League, yep. That was in the Prem, was it? That was in the Prem. Wow. You know what? Fair play to you on that one. I would have. Yeah. I just could not picture that at all. One, uh, zero out of one for me. Uh, yeah, that's a bonkers one. Uh, Josh Murphy in Wigan Athletic. Yes. Correct. Loan to Ben in 2015. Yeah. Vaguely recall that one. One out of two. I always think maybe the Murphys might throw you off a little bit. I do. I feel like that would be bending the rules a little bit if you <laughs> pick the other Murphy and then because I, I honestly cannot remember which one is which which oh, one's the, the rubbish one who's at Oxford now the one who has had uh, injury problems and has had to drop down to League One is, is Josh Murphy yeah apparently attitude problems as well according to reports from Preston but nonetheless let's move on <laughs> Darius Henderson Stoke yes no, made that one up. My gut was saying everything was saying no then, but my mouth said yes. <laughs> I was I was disappointed to put that one in. I thought I was lazy of me. I thought it was just really obvious a shit house number nine yeah. for Stoke. Yeah. I was really One was out lazy. of three. Next one is Jonathan Fort and Barnsley. Sorry, could you say that again? Just Jonathan Fort and Barnsley. <laughs> I think Jonathan Ford might be on the living night anger scale. Just no, he's not. He is a favourite of mine. I'll go yes. I made that one up. God's sake. Is it Jonathan Ford or Jonathan Forte? Forte, I think. Mm. It's not my Forte. Clearly not. Next one is David Weeter and Wolves. No. One appearance in 2006. God, I'm having a stinker here. <laughs> <laughs> Merry Christmas. <laughs> when was that? 2006. <sighs> Jesus. One out of five. Ben Gibson and Plymouth Argyle. Surely not. Is that your answer? Yeah. 13 appearances on loan in 2011. What a load of bollocks. Needles <laughs> miles away from Plymouth. <laughs> <laughs> that makes no sense. Can you imagine like... I don't know. I don't think you'd do weekend trips back home, but Ben, you're going on loan. Where am I going? Plymouth. What? <laughs> Goodbye, family. <laughs> honestly, honestly, uh, yeah, it's staggering. Yeah. One out of six. Oh dear. Chris Wood and Ipswich Town is the next one. God, Chris Wood's a stinker because he's played for everyone. Um. No. Eight appearances on loan in 2015. Just before his lead spell. Just before his prolific lead spell. I thought he had. Zero goals. I thought he had, but I wasn't. I thought I was getting mixed up with him in a Leicester shirt. Uh, let's move on. Come on. Richard Wood and Charlton Athletic. I don't know Richard Wood's career. No. <laughs> 21 appearances in 2013. <laughs> One out of eight. on the next one yeah Wes Fodderingham of Fulham I don't know Wes Fodderingham's career <laughs> yes 
Actually, no. You are correct. He came okay. through, but he never made an appearance. I was hoping you'd get that because you were going to. And he off. never made an appearance. Never made an appearance. We've got to make a senior appearance for them. We weren't doing that, Justin. That's why I was hoping you'd get it. We can move on. It was a faux pas, okay? That is a right. faux pas. But you got right. it. In fact, that's right. very naughty from you. It, it, I completely forgot, okay? But you got it. We can move on. You've had a bad week, but it's not because of Wes Fodderingham. Um, was that number nine? That was number nine. You've got one left. Two out of nine. Jesus Christ. Come on. Jermaine Betford and Blackpool. No, no. You are correct. I made that one up. Yeah. Dear me, what a disastrous week that's turned out to be. Three outs of ten for me. That means I'm still behind. <laughs> 76, 75 to just impeach for the season. Is that the first time you've gone ahead after we've played an even amount of games? I think it might be. Yeah, it might be. Yeah, I've taken the lead the first time Christ. this season. Dear me, this has gone really tits up for me in the last couple of uh, goes, isn't it? Oh, well. Uh, so, yeah, 76-75 for Justin Peach for the season. Some good ones in there, to be fair to you, but I've had a bit of a stinker, haven't I? Uh, so, ladies and gentlemen, this has been the Second Tier Podcast. Our next episode will be on New Year's Eve, which is on Saturday? Let me double check. How Wednesday today, isn't it? Yeah. Wednesday. It is Saturday. Yeah, Saturday is our next episode, ladies and gentlemen. I don't even know what day it is anymore. Uh, so that's when you'll next hear from us, when we talk about the next round of games, which is coming up over the festive period. And we look forward to seeing you then. This has been the Second Tier Podcast. I've been Ryan Dilks. I've been Justin Peach. And a big thank you for listening. Mm-hmm.